This week, welcome to the Pencil to Pencil podcast with your hosts, Brett Blevins, Jamar Nicholas, and me, Mike Manley. We've been off for a few weeks, mostly due to the fact that I caught pneumonia. But we're back this week with an interview with Benton Jew and Tim Burgard, two storyboard artists who have worked in TV animation and feature films. We're happy to announce that we also have a new sponsor for the podcast, Clip Studio Paint. Clip Studio Paint is the leading comics and manga software. It's your all-in-one solution to create ready-to-publish illustrations for comics, manga, and animation. Clip Studio has fully customizable brushes and pens. It's your all-in-one solution for creating stunning, ready-to-publish illustrations for comics, manga, and animation. I use Clip Studio every week myself to illustrate my comic strip, Judge Parker. We will be running a contest to give away free copies of Clip Studio Paint on our message board. So check in in the next few weeks to see how you can get a copy of Clip Studio Paint for free. So without any further delay, let's start the show. On the podcast, uh, we wanted to talk to uh, Tim Bergard and Benton Jew, uh, who are both uh, storyboard artists uh and i guess also production artists who work in uh hollywood and worked on a lot of the major motion pictures um they've been out the last several years and um both of you guys have actually been doing it a long time and um and you actually know each other right Mm-hmm. Yeah, we met uh, we met on um working on the Roland Emmerich film um Called, uh, I've so many, but that was uh, 2012, right? I don't know, that wasn't 2012, that was the day of the year. Or that was the, like, um, the that day was after like tomorrow. 2000, yeah. the day after tomorrow. Um, yeah, actually, we met before that, I think it was, I think I went to one of your, um, talks at Comic Con. But, uh, so that was the first time we actually worked together. So, so this is, so, so what, why don't you, uh, both give us a, a, a brief history of um, of how you got into working in film and in animation. Okay, Tim, why don't you start and uh, give us a little bit of your history? And Roy Thomas, specifically Roy Thomas, but I worked with another uh, other guy that I uh, I knew in Huntington Beach from uh, science fiction art show, uh, Rick Hobart. And, uh, worked with, uh, him in both, uh, comic books and in, uh, animation. And then I started, uh, working in television animation for a while. And eventually I kind of, with the help of an agent, but also through, you know, friends and everything, I ended up, uh, getting into movies again, you know, uh, uh, like the big one before I got into Union, I worked on was uh, Terminator 2, and then uh, the one that got me into Union was um, Stargate, and then I ended up, you know, was eligible for them. And so uh, you started out in TV animation, and then you moved into film. Right. I mean, I I had a couple of times where I did a little bit for. Uh, Film animation, but not that much. Like 
you know, um, the, the Disney storybook things where you start with a storybook and it opens up and then they start the, the film or they start the, the, the show. Uh, I literally did the inking on one of those things, for one of those things, on uh, Prince of the Papa. Oh, great. Great. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, Benton, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of your of your history? Okay, well, uh, you know, I actually, I grew up and my big goal was to be a, a comic book artist, but also did, you know, some great films of, of when I was a little kid. And then, uh, you know, I went to art school, the Academy of Art College in San Francisco, and um, I met uh, through one of the lunchtime talks, uh, a guy named Stan Fleming, who was, you know, a Chicago storyboard artist who did commercial storyboard artists and uh, storyboard work. He also did feature story, uh, film storyboard work. He did uh, storyboards for, like, Howard Duck. He did storyboards for uh, Indiana Jones' Last Crusade uh, and... Uh, and uh, the uh, in Ninja, the second one, and so, anyways, I showed him my work, and uh, we were both big fans of like uh, Stan Drake and Leonard Star, and, he was, and nobody else was, but who certainly not people at my age when I was in college. And so he remembered my work, he liked my work, you know, because I did some comic book work for uh, the, he liked my style uh, was for the Oakland A's. In any case, uh, a couple of years later, when I was um, my last year uh, at the academy, I get a call from the illustration dean, and she said that uh, ILM wants to talk to me. And I guess um, Stan had been asked to work on a um, on a project that he couldn't uh, that he was too busy to work on, and they had uh, he recommended me. After all, I didn't even know that he remembered my name, but he recommended me, and then I. Um, I went up for the job. It was for a uh, Epcot Center project called Body Wars, and that started my relationship with ILM. Um, uh, that was just of a a uh, project that was was for for Epcot Center. And then that one, um, you know, they remember my name, had the on the list. And then uh, the next job I worked on was uh, Ghostbusters Two. <laughs> And around that time, they were starting to create a more centralized, more permanent uh, art department at ILM. They didn't have that before. It was more like you came uh, from show to show, but then they wanted to have a more centralized art department that was permanent and and with the you know with all the new jobs coming in. And so, I ended up uh, working in the ILM art department for the next 13 years. You know, working. On lots of commercials, on lots of different films from Men in Black to Jurassic Park to Terminator movies to, you know, just all kinds of different movies. Um, and then around 9-11, I ended up moving to Los Angeles um, and started working freelance as a full-time storyboard artist and uh, got into the and working in on uh, Terminator 3. And then I've been there ever since then. That was on 9-11, so I've been here for, you know, 20 years almost. Um, so um, in between then, I, I do a little bit of comic work when I can get the work. Um, but mostly I've been, you know, I've worked on lots of superhero movies like Wonder Woman and Logan and, you yeah, know, the Hulk movie. Well, um, I do uh, a lot of... 
trial and error and, and knowing a couple of people and, and actually taking a trip to New York, I ended up doing a little bit of comic book work when I got out of um, college at Art Center. And then I ended up uh, you know, hooking up with a few of the West Coast people out here like uh, Royce Thomas and uh, Rick Hobart. And um, I parlayed that into uh, a career in TV animation, starting with Hanna Barbera, and working through you know all the Hollywood uh, studios, the television animation studios. Um, eventually, I worked on two seasons of The Simpsons, um, but uh, you know it, it took a little help from. Uh, Again, some friends and a agent to uh, get into live action uh, films, doing commercials, and then uh, eventually I ended up with um, Stargate, and that got me in the union, and I was able to, uh, you know, work uh, as a union uh, production illustrator and uh, storyboard artist, you know, after that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you both of you guys about that because I, as I understand it, um. There's the animation union, and then there's the live action union for doing films, and then that film, that that union, as I understood, it, was a closed union, or you had to be invited into it, or the production you worked oh, on some. Is yeah, that that's, true? That's, yeah, uh, both uh, Benton and I, um, you know, do some stuff for the union, uh, volunteer for the union, and um, it it seems like that when you're first trying to get in because there's you know people um that uh Benton's brother Anson had a you know had all these qualifications and it took the right timing to be on a film that went union. And uh that was the thing. Basically you had to uh work on a union film for thirty days and uh for a long time <clears throat> You couldn't work on a union film if there were uh, union workers who were unemployed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's changed. It's changed since then. Um, you actually uh, can get a job on a on a film, um, whether you're in the union or not, uh, as long as uh, there are no rostered or union uh, workers, or, or rather, there. Switch uh, that around. If you're the only non-roster person, the only non-union person, you can work on any film. Um, they just can't hire a second one. And uh, that will give you the opportunity to get in for 30 days. And now, uh, if you're commercials, um, we want you in. We want to get you in. And uh, you would then have to put in... Uh, more than that, I forget what the actual number of hours is, but you can actually work your way to being on the roster for film. Okay. So there's a clear uh, uh, way of getting uh, into the union now than there was before. There were a couple other ways, like being a junior, which I wish I was. I got in as a junior because it's um, like half the uh, the uh, dues and half of the upfront. Uh, you know, fees that you have to pay to get in, and, but you get a, you paid the same amount as everybody else. So the the fee is a way of what I guess what uh, like a union dues, and I suppose from what you were saying is that in order to make sure the people in the union were getting work, 
a new person couldn't get work if somebody who was already in the union would didn't have a job. Uh, there's exceptions. I mean, um, Sid Mead, for instance, was never in the union, but he got to work on a lot of films because he brings a specific skill set of, uh, you know, vehicle design and everything else. Uh, so they, he worked on Blade Runner and, uh, Aliens and a lot of other films, right? Yeah. So, um, and there are other people with other kinds of expertise that could be brought in. You know, but generally, uh, they didn't want people just, they don't want having people just hired out of, uh, high school or, or art college. And, you know, basically, we're trying to, you know, make a living at this. And, uh, we don't want to compete with people who are still living with their folks and they're going to school still, you know? <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I could see that because I mean, one of the issues that that everybody's dealing with now is the fact that there's always that downward push uh, to hire somebody cheaper to do the job if they could possibly get away with it. Um, one of the yeah, things I was it's international, then you really have a problem. Right, right. Um, one of the things I was uh, interested to get the input from you, uh, feedback from you guys on was um, the differences between the different types of storyboarding. Because you have storyboarding for television, you have storyboards mm -hmm. for TV commercials, you have storyboards mm -hmm. for feature animation, and then you have storyboards for live action. And the need... You could add of, that. Yeah. Go ahead. And you could add television animation, which is very different than feature animation as well. Right, I, yeah. That, that's, that's what I was meaning, like TV animation, like the Batman or the Simpsons or things like that. And, and, um, mm -hmm. and then the... They're also cinematic for computers, computer games, which I'm working on right now. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. okay. So now, I would imagine that as time has moved on, you guys have been working on stuff uh, a fairly long time now, that the, I just saw Captain Marvel last night, and I noticed, you know, with each production, there's more and more and more more people because each production is more complicated. There's more complicated effects shots. As a board artist, how has your job changed for going from production to production? And how has even like the amount of effects in Terminator 2 as opposed to Captain Marvel is just like off the charts. So does that affect oh, your job? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, then, uh, Actually, we had worked on films. It's, it's so funny when we have to we talk. There's still films that he worked on at IMM that I worked on in the production office. <laughs> and, and, you know, right. And uh, and so obviously there's a, a different way of going about it when you know you're doing something for visual effects than you are. Right. I mean, when I when I was person. at I, when I was at ILM, it was non-union, so. It was not, it was not the same thing as this. It was, it was specifically for a sub, you know, a subcontractor or a vendor that, that the production would go to. And, um, you know, that's a, a completely different level. And there's other people who might do the exact same scene, but more just for the conceptual side of it. That is, uh, you know, a union person in Los Angeles. Someone was at ILM that was in Northern California and, you know, just, it's specifically for needs of the people who are doing the visual effects shots. And they have a lot of different vendors who do companies who might be 
doing visual effects for a film. So every one of those might have a, an art department that they work with to do storyboards. So you don't have Most one. Of those so you don't have one overall board or like crew of board artists that that everybody is feeding off of. They have different each effects house might have a board person. Is what you're saying? That's yes. That's entirely possible. Just for that, yeah. I see. So, yeah. like, if you're, if, let's say, like the next Star Wars they're working on now, uh, they don't have like five people boarding the entire movie. They might have if they're having to farm shots out. They have board artists that then is there like a head board person or the director that's overseeing all the board, like a storyboard supervisor that's that's overseeing all of the various. It, it doesn't happen that often, but that that uh, that does happen occasionally. Uh, a friend of ours, Dave Lowry, was like the head board artist on Jungle Book. Okay, so yeah, yeah generally, generally they'll they'll be work. You know, the ones who are working in a you know outside vendor will will pretty much they they will be under like a, an effects supervisor, and the super effects supervisor will you know that will be one of the people who works for, you know, he will work for the director. So you're several steps further steps beneath the uh, 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 the director, whereas when I'm working uh, you know, here in Los Angeles on an 800 film, uh, I, would, I would have more direct access with the director. Okay, because that's another question I had was um, when I worked in TV storyboards, the job of the board person was not to be, you know, was to try to enhance whatever you could to make the story more interesting, come up with acting bits and things like that, not just to just be very literal with the storyboard. So I'm wondering, as a board artist for film, do you sit down with the director first? Does he give you sort of like an idea of what he's looking for? Do you do rough beat boards that he looks at? What is, how does that part of you taking the script and turning it into film work in, say, live action as opposed to doing something on TV? Is, is there a difference? Well, there's, I think you have more time than what you were doing, uh, because you, you were acting with your, you, you were more or less, uh, creating story moments and acting in, uh, in TV animation, in any kind of animation, really, than we are when we're doing, uh, uh, film. Uh, it's, we can obviously, uh, contribute our, uh, imagination and, and our ideas, but generally we're working towards a specific effect and, and we're not telling the director how he should make his actors Act or how the actor should act depending on what expression to give our storyboards. You know, in live action, generally, a lot of it really depends on the personalities and when you get on it, and you know who the director is, how they like to work. Generally, it seems like most of the directors, it's like there's a few shots that they really have specific idea what they want, and they will show you exactly what that is. But then the other parts, they might not have as strong an opinion. And they will say, hey, we'll just cover these pages and we'll see what we get. And then, you know, you pin them up on the wall and or show them, you know, on the computer, whatever it is. And then you'll make some adjustments, changes, or say, that's completely wrong. Do it over. Do something completely different. So it really, it really, it really varies from director to director or from show to show. Um, 
you know, I've worked on films where, yeah, where, where they basically just let me kind of go off on my own and other ones where they're very, very specific where they're just, you know, doing thumbnails and I'm just making tighter boards. So, yeah, it all, it, it all depends. You know, and the bigger, more money they have, the more time they have to play with it. And the earlier on you are, you get into the process, the, the more likely you are going to be working with these kind of blue sky concepts is, well, well, you know, we're not quite sure about this. What if we did this? Whereas, of course, you get to the end of, you know, to the actual start of shooting, it's going to be more specific, you know, they'll have, they'll have more uh, sets tied down, so you'll have to, you, you, you will conform to what is on the set and, and, and the geography of that and, and things like that. Like when I was working on Logan, I, I I did a whole bunch of st- storyboards of the sequence where uh, Xavier died, but once they finally got the locations and took pictures of the locations, all those boards are kind of thrown out, and I, I basically based it on the on the uh, photos that I had on the location. So mm-hmm. yeah, when you're doing live action, you um you 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 have to be aware of story, but uh, you're Boards are completely useless if you are not being com- uh, uh, completely tied to and cognizant uh, of your your space, the actual sets or locations, and what kind of cameras and what kind of uh, camera work is going on. You know, um, you can uh, there's the particular style of the uh, director, of course, and. Uh, you know, you sometimes get directors that are um, cinematographers that actually came up, you know, holding the camera. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, uh, with the other thing I was I was interested to uh, to find out uh, is how much do you have to be aware of cinematography or the need of the cinematographer uh, on the doing the live action stuff. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was getting beeps on my my phone. I think somebody was trying to reach me. Um, uh, ben, can you answer that? <laughs> oh, hold on. You think? I think oh, I'm calling him again. I think he got cut off. Yeah, I think he dropped. Yeah. Um. Yeah, maybe maybe he's in. Hello. Hello. Sorry, you got dropped there. Um. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you heard my. Uh, my question. So my question was, uh, when you're working on live action, how much, uh, how aware do you have to be of uh, cinematography, like the use of lenses, things like that? Because, uh, you know, like, there wasn't as much, like now everything is constantly spinning around, spinning around, 360 degrees going in around. I just noticed when I was watching Captain Marvel uh, last night. I think I became, I should, I'll back up a little bit saying, I first became aware of it watching one of the Harry Potter films. Because, you know, in the old days you would have, dun, 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 you know, the shot of the set where you're going, the Death Star, or wherever you're going to. Now, the camera goes around, you just don't show the shot of the place you're going to, the camera's always moving, right? And so I'm wondering if that affects did you have to learn about lenses? Was there a learning curve when you started doing 3D movies, so to speak? 
Well, well uh, actually, those are two yeah, separate yeah. issues, really. Go ahead. Uh, first of all, there is a learning curve if you're coming out of comic books and um, animation, because uh, camera movement is simulated in animation. It's the animated animation camera, the, the typical one, just goes up and down. It gets closer to the animation table and goes further away. Uh, you know, uh, the whole thing of, of CGI um, animation and the virtual camera came about much later. And so you have to be aware of how your camera can physically move. Now, what you're describing is a specialty shot. And that is definitely in the purview of the director and how he wants to tell a story. But as far as I mean, camera lenses, that, that is something that, uh, you should be aware of. And that as you're boarding, it's a, it's a taste description. I mean, if the director actually tells you, I want everything long lens, then that's what you give it. Right. I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to necessarily make it look exactly like, oh, this is a 50, uh, and it will look exactly like a 50 or 20, whatever. But, but you do have to know, okay, well, it's going to be a longer lens or it's going to be a shorter lens. So one's going to have more of a flattened, you know, background and, and another's going to have more distortion in it. Um, in terms of camera movement, tend, that tends to be more in the purview these days of doing animatics and things like that. Uh, you do, we'll, we'll probably do some storyboards that will have keyframes of where that, where that camera movement will go, but generally, in terms of how the camera movement goes, you know, that's what a lot of the previs is good at now. But, but the previs needs to have storyboards in itself so that they, cause there's so many different ways that they could, can do things with a three-dimensional previs model. That they kind of need to narrow things down, so that's why they would need the storyboarders. But there's the basic stuff in terms of, you know, oh, you, you, you're depth of uh, a field and, 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 um, you know, what, what, you know, what kind of distortion there is on your lens, you, you know, they'll usually tell you, give you an, you know, the, you talk to the director or the, or the, uh, DP and they, they'll give you an idea. Was know, there a what, film? What kind of trying to shoot for? Was there a film that that either one of you worked on? Was that was the first film where you really had to sort of deal with that? Um, there's been there's been a lot of you know they all they all tend to. I mean, um, I remember working on actually it was actually this one was more of a CG animated thing, but it was I you know I didn't know how to change I, you know how to change the, the I wanted it to be more of a flat lens. I was actually kind of semi-directing this one, but it was, um, and there's a, 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 it, there's a, I needed a flatter look and, and, um, they just did it on the computer. But, but, but in terms of regular, uh, a regular, uh, live action film, um, uh, let's see. I, I, there's been a few films where they, I know that they've, they've liked more of a stacked look, you know, to, to give it, uh, you know, more, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes things look either, it, um, just more dynamic or, 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 you know, or, or more, uh, paranoid looking when you have a shorter lens and, you know, and, 
you know, people staring, you know, staring at you and you, and, and you, it's all fishbowl-y, you know, it's, it's, it, it has a different kind of emotion to it. So all those tools are there really depends on the shot. So, um, well, uh, I would like to describe the wide angle lens and, and, uh, and long lens in terms of comic book, uh, effects you're not as great. No, but maybe I'm dated. It's like, it's like Kurt Swan and, uh, Vern Hogarth and people like that, they work from a long lens perspective. And that's like old time film perspective. Right. Where, uh, everything is scaled pretty much the same. You know, if a person is standing next to another person, uh, if they're shorter, that means they're literally shorter. It doesn't mean they're further away. And, uh, well, you, shorter, basically you will have more distortion. <coughs> You'll have more distortion. Um, you know, uh, things that are closer to you get bigger, and the things that are farther you get smaller. But if but if something is but if something is but if something is a longer lens, you know, you'll see things, you'll see clear things that are in the background, you know, farther away. But they'll be kind of more a lot of you know, if you look at like a big line of cars, they'll all be the last one. If you had a big line of cars, will be close to the same. Size is the one in front of you, but it would be blurrier, and they'd be more of a flattened look. But but but, but those two, those two different looks will have have completely different emotions uh, depending on what it is, you know, and what what you what you're trying to what you're trying to show somebody. So right, um, right. What kind of emotions? So, and I guess that's how you you brought up uh, comics. That's another point I had was. Um, uh, comics in the beginning, you could see where comics was influenced by movies and movies were influenced by comics. And now mm-hmm. we're in this era where, uh, it takes 5,000 people to do what Jack Kirby could do with a pencil. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, a whole sure. team of, 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 of people. Um, do you feel that the type of storytelling that you're doing, uh, or uh, I should also include, like, how does that affect your your drawing or or your what you need to drawing your drawing skill? Because one of the things I noticed, uh, when I looked at certain uh, storyboard artists, like the guy I forget his name that does the boards for the Cohen Brothers, and then you look at mm-hmm. like the stuff that Rudolfo Dimaggio did for Hildalgo. And I mean, those mm-hmm. boards he did were amazing. Just the drawing of all the the guy was mm-hmm. fighting the, the 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 leopard or whatever that was in the pit. I mean, that looked like he was actually trying to draw a certain type of lens, a certain type of feel. And it right. seems like some directors really like wanting to see a lush drawing, and other ones just need something to kind of give them a springboard to go from. Uh, exactly, and, then, and, and I think that's. That's ex- and that's exactly the, the the difference. I think somebody who's doing a film like the Coen Brothers, you know, they just kind of they just kind of roughly need to go. Also, they did tend to work not in Los Angeles, so this talent pool is smaller. So you have, you know, they'll, they'll they'll probably more likely go with somebody who lives in Minneapolis or wherever they they're from. And whereas somebody like uh, uh, Rodolfo works on big Hollywood films a lot um, and he's going to work on a lot of the big budget movies where there's uh, 
you know, lots of effect shots in it, and they are going to need very specific things. They want it to be very accurate in terms of uh, of, of what they're shooting, and they want to know exactly what it's going to be like. And they need somebody who has the the drawing chops so that's more accurate, like Rodolfo would. So, um, especially a big budget film like that. Right. But I think uh, I was always interested in. I think I I was first aware of storyboards, probably like you guys were. uh, Some of you were were uh, seeing the stuff that Joe Johnston did for Star Mm -hmm. Wars. Um, Right. Right. And those had you know they looked like the film where I had seen, you know, storyboards before and they didn't, they were much looser and they didn't specifically look like the film. But that was the the first time I, I, as a teenager, I could remember seeing something that looked like what you saw on the screen. Right. And then also some of those things, again, we're talking about different, there could be different phases in terms of what you're working on. I mean, um Dave Lowry did a whole bunch of boards of in Jurassic Park about, you know, with the, with the dinosaur chasing the truck, you know, and you see the, and then you see the, uh, you know, the mirror and all that stuff. And, you know, he did that, you know, all from his imagination. When they asked me to do it, I, I had to, um, I did the exact same sequence. Uh, after they'd shot the blank plates and then added the, and so I would basically take a, a frame of a plate and trace it off the moviola and then I would add the dinosaurs later. You know, the dinosaurs hadn't been, we had to figure out, well, how big are the dinosaurs once we create them in CG? So that's the difference between a visual effects board and one that, that Dave had done, which was from the director's, uh, description. So, um, two different ways of approaching the same, the exact same scene. Right, right. Two, so different, Tim, two different needs. Tim, do you do you have uh, a film? Do you did you feel that was like a really big learning curve for you as an artist? Uh, I worked with on a the two trailer with Jim Cameron and then I ended up doing. I'm sorry, you're breaking up there. Can you repeat that? Maybe you're standing in a funky place in your house. Well, yes, I know. That's why we started to Skype. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, when I worked with Stan Winston and Jim Cameron on the trailer and then uh, for Terminator 2, and then I ended up working on Terminator 2, Stan Winston Studio, and we were trying to find practical ways of uh, solving shots that were going to be using the uh, uh, the bad Terminator and how he kills. And looking at all these, you know, I mean, there was a great one where he built an appliance with an arm that extended. But the way that he shot it, um, you never realized that. It was uh, that whole growing of the arm actually happened off camera with sound, even though you're you're on that person's face. Right? This is where the, the Terminator robot masquerades as the stepmom to John Connor. Oh, right, right, and, yeah. And that was amazing. I realized that there are ways you could solve a lot of problems in storytelling that will bridge any kind of technological problems you have. So, uh, I, that was very exciting for me. Uh, what about you, uh, uh, Benton? 
Um, well, for me, one of the biggest films that I worked on in my early part of my career was when I was working on uh, Phantom Menace at that point. You know, the new Star Wars film was a, was a really big deal then, and um, George was going to board every frame of the film, basically. He was going to do the entire thing, uh, whether it was visual effects or not. So that one was a big challenge because uh, I was... I have never worked on a film where I was going to do that kind of volume because it mostly been doing visual effects sports. But this one, they loaned me to Lucasfilm to, and as a, I loved as a visual effects, uh, and Lucasfilm as the actual film. They sent me to Lucasfilm, you know, for a year and basically to work on the entire film and, and we had uh, uh, way more boards than I would normally do on a vis- you know a visual effects film where I would just a regular visual effects film for me would just be you know a, you know, a few minutes worth of the movie or whatever but this one I had to do a, a really large volume of all kinds of shots so um, and especially since it was Star Wars Star Wars there was a lot of uh, pressure on that one to kind of do it well and um, <laughs> yeah. one of my friends, yeah so, and also it, just but, a little really, bit <laughs> Just a little bit. So everybody, I mean, I they at that time, everybody in Hollywood was sending their their portfolio, you know, to Doug Chang to look at. Um, everybody in Hollywood seemed to be wanting to get on the film, and there's hundreds and hundreds of portfolios that are coming out. And, but you know, I'd worked with, with Doug before, and he said, "Yeah, no, you're going to be one of the guys." And George likes his stuff, so. Uh, so, um, me and, uh, and the TV dad and Ian McKay and all these guys were, uh, were, were we did a bunch of boards. You've probably seen in the book that the, uh, Band of Minister of Boards. Um, those are, those are, even though that book was pretty complete, there's still a bunch of ton of boards that I did that, that didn't even make that book. So, um, so that was, that was a, a you know, a pretty tough, uh, to work on because it's so much, but it was also fun because, you know, he was trying to, I'm a big martial arts movie fan and, um, I sort of like their go-to guy in terms of martial arts movies, reference and things like that. And, and then I got to do the Darth Maul sequence. And so that was a big fun thing for me. Oh, yeah. So. Hey, yeah. Tim, I, Tim, I know you got to run. I wanted to ask. Yeah, one, you're about to hear my dog as I'm uh, going to take him to the vet. I wanted to ask you one last question, which would be, what would you say are the important skills uh, for those listening who want to try to get into doing story TV or, or movie storyboards? Well, if you're going to uh, do that, uh, I, you have to understand film. You have to understand, um, just basically, you have to understand the basics of film. What is a close-up? What is a pan shot? What is a, you can tilt up and down, but you don't pan up and pan down. Basic things like that. And, uh, you're, you can get a job with actually fairly, uh, bad, uh, uh, wrong skills as long as you understand perspective. And you understand film. You could probably, uh, you know, work your way up being a pretty good, uh, storyboard artist. Uh, ben and I both know people who like that. Of course, it does help to, to be able to draw. And, 
My dog is basically coughing in, in the phone right now, so i got to go. Okay, all right, thanks, Sam. It's always better to be, be able to draw better and, and have a more accurate view of, of what of what something's going to look like. I think a director appreciates more if he sees it and it looks like what he thinks it's going to look like you know, in his head. Uh, on a piece of paper, so right, right. Because I mean, it seems like you're you're really, especially in the films that we're, we've been talking about. I mean, you're really dealing with epic scale and space. Right, right. And right. so how do you so make you, epic like, scale and space in a drawing? Yeah, yeah. You won't be you won't be able to get that feeling, right? You'll be struggling. You'll be struggling with the basics of drawing. So, um, you know, and then there's always the whole thing of being able to draw well and dramatically and things like that. And it's just, I think just being able to draw well just, um, it, it, you know, just gives you more, um, more latitude to, to, to do what you want, you know, and, and the director do what he wants. So, you know, if you're not struggling with those basic issues and you don't have to use your imagination as much as, as you know, in terms of being a director, it's like, oh, there it is. That's it. that's it's like a preview button. It's like, that's what it's going to look like. So, so were, so were you thinking about getting, when you were when you were you know you you liked comics? That's the other thing I I noticed that I came from comics into doing TV storyboards, and it was funny because oh. then when I got to meet people in animation, there was like all these people in comics who wanted to do animation or film, but then there's all these people who were working in, in animation or film who wanted to do comics. So it seems like everybody right. liked to jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of us sort of learned from. I think most of us learned to do comics first, and but then, you know, um, I, you know, I, I I still like to kind of play with comics myself. It's not because I'm always. I think, especially if you're a creative person, you kind of want to create your own characters and, and your own stories and things like that. And making movies in the, is in itself is an expensive thing, but I can draw. So it's much easier for me to draw than it is to pull out a bunch of money to make, to make a expensive movie. So, um, you know, it's a creative outlet for me to, you know, once in a while do an, you know, indie comic or something like that, uh, on my own and have more control over it and how, how it looks. Whereas when you're working on a film, you know, you're basically working with somebody else's, uh, mostly with somebody else's, you know, the vision and input. So, I mean, you get to be creative as, as well, but, you know, not, not, it's not your own characters or anything. You're working for somebody else, and, and nobody ever sees your work. So it's nice to be able to do some work and have somebody look at it and say, hey, that's kind of nice, whereas if you're doing something, doing storyboards, you know, the director might like it, but nobody else will ever see it, and you've done all this work, and it's like, okay, well, at least it helps us get to make, make the movie, but, you know, if there's something nice about getting a little bit of applause. So. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. I mean, um, I mean, how how do, how I mean, they're they're sort of opposites in some ways because movies is spectacle and it's all giant team effort. And but one person could actually do a comic book. One person can do, right. you know, something that has, you know, one person could do Lord of the Rings as a comic book, but not. There's no way one person could ever do it as an animated film or or live action or anything. You need hundreds and hundreds of people. Right. And then you get to be, you get to be the writer, you get to be the director, you get to do the costume design, you get to be all of those things. 
course, uh, you know, uh, if you're doing, uh, a, you know, if you're snowboarding a film, you're, you're giving a, a preview to it, but the actual product is the actual product. And sometimes it looks like what you do and so it really depends. So, yeah. So, so what would you uh, advise, uh, the younger that, cause it's, it's, it's funny. Everybody I teach for the last, at least, especially four or five years, everybody wants to do character design or concept mm-hmm. design or book mm-hmm. covers because everybody just thinks, oh, that's just so easy. I'm just going to go to LA and I'm just going to go, I'm here to do, uh, Darth Maul. I'm here to do, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to design all the new Star Trek, uh, ships or whatever um well they should be they should be aware there's a billion people who want to do that a million of them there's so many good people and it seems like they're getting better and better all the time so uh really if you want to be good work 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 on your drawing chops your painting chops your storytelling chops because you got to be better than the next person in order to get noticed I mean, there's, there's a, there's, you know, some of the hottest talent really is working in the film industry, and you know, a lot of them might have worked in in comics before. Um, oh, but or a lot of them are just, you know, they because of the internet, you see so much of this production artwork, and they get inspired by it, and they get they they get better than um, generation gets better than the next one. So, you know, uh, you know, work on your design skills, work on your drawing skills. You know, what's going to set you apart? You know, work on your speed because the, the volume is also tremendous as well. And I think that's, also the, that's a key thing. I think that a lot of, uh, I mean, same with comics. I think when you go, there's that barrier. I'm sure you crashed through that barrier where you went from being, uh, an apprentice or being a student to being a professional and having to perform beyond your capacity for comfort but you can't have it look like crap either right no it's, it's something where when you're young and and whatever you, you you might end up putting in those late you know all-nighters to get it done and uh you you kind of learn where whether you've got the stomach for it or not um you, you know you just gotta like uh you know have a have a, a, a basic standard for yourself in terms of the quality, and then know that you have to make a deadline. These things are here for a purpose, and um, there's consequences. It can be pretty extreme if you if you screw up, and they you know the director turns up and he doesn't have his boards. You know, it's not you know you don't want that to happen. Have you, you don't seen want that happen? It's, yeah, I've seen it happen. You know, it's, 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 it happens, it happens all the time. And, and the director won't be happy and you could get fired. So, um, you have to make deadlines, whether it's comic books or whether it's storyboards or concept art, you know, those, that's like one of the biggest things that, that people need to, to be able to do because they're not going to wait for you. You gotta, you gotta, you have to make your, make those deadlines and, Making things to a quality that, uh, that they expect. And, uh, um, you yeah, know, that's, that's one of the hardest things. So. So you're saying a, it's not a, an eight hour day job? <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be. It should be. Um, but, you know, you learn how to, you know, they'll usually ask you, well, how long do you think it will take you to do this and this and this? And it might be a negotiation. But if you say that you can do it, then you better be able to do it. 
and um, you know and that's just that's just how it is, you know. And then sometimes they can change it. It's not always going to be your fault that that it's taking longer because they might change their mind or you know something might change. It's like oh the budget gets shrunk or or they realize uh, there's a mistake that that kind of uh, dominoed and you know it. It gets really, it can get really tricky, but yeah, making deadlines for any illustrator is, is basically the key. So, and listening to, you know, and understanding and listening to what, uh, what the client wants, you know, I think I've always said that the most important thing about is not your eyes or you, uh, it's not your eyes or your hands, it's not your drawing eyes, it's not your drawing hand, it's your drawing ears. Do you understand what the decorator is actually asking you to do? You know, when when you, when he says something, are you listening and understanding what he's saying? You're asking the questions that will, you know, um, tell you what the what the director wants. So, it's your ear, your ears are more important than than your eyes or your hands. So, uh, ben, this is uh, Jamar Nicholas. How are you? I've been lurking. Hi, in the, how are you? I've been lurking in the back of the the interview the whole time. I had a question for you. Uh, I want to try to jump uh, Tim into this too, but um, with the the kind of explosion of video games in the marketplace, and I was just thinking about that new uh, cowboy game, that Red Dead Redemption game, which had a, like a crazy, almost like movie budget, uh, and also a lot of people are wanting to get into the industry to do video game, whatever, design, storyboards. Um, do you see a big difference in um, the production of either of those, you know, like film versus video games? You know, I've not really done a whole lot of video game stuff, but people I've talked to, it seems like it's a lot of it's, uh, you know, a similar type of uh, a lot of people are coming from the same background who are working on those things. And um, I imagine it might even be because, you know, they're all... 3D animated characters, you are going to have to create whole worlds. It's not something that's going to be somebody else who's, you know, who's a set dresser is going to buy the table or whatever. It's going to have to look a certain way or whatever. Um, so you you are designing these entire worlds and every every inch of them. So I think it's a, a you know. Your design skills of, of being able to design everything, whether it's a whether it's a cup or a mug or a, a shoe or whatever it is, you know, you need to be able to design everything. So, um, so I imagine it's a similar type of thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have a, I have another question also. Um, since you've been around in the industry for a while, um, and also how, um, I know Mike and I teach a lot of, uh, Classes of really young people with huge, huge goals for their future <laughs> with not a lot of reference between point A and B. Um, um, my, I wonder how do you see the young artists trying to get a foothold in doing storyboard, uh, work? Um, you know, is networking the same, uh, as important? in other industries as it is in, you know, storyboarding or is it different? Like, do you need a social media? Um, I, yeah, I think you do. I think you do. it is a little bit different uh, probably than when I started. 
certainly social media has changed everything. So, um, um, you should, I mean, you should have a presence on, you know, Instagram or whatever it is and that, you know, a place where people can see your work easily or, you know, and have a, a good looking, uh, web page or whatever. And, uh, and with the opportunities, um, on social media to meet, you know, people who are doing the exact same thing, um, it's a lot easier now to just, you know, get on Facebook and, and contact somebody who, who's in the job uh, to ask them questions and things like that. And, and so they should take advantage of those things. Um, but, you know, getting a job, that, you know, that, you know, you really do, it's, that, that part hasn't changed. You have to be better than the next person and just make sure that your work gets out there. Right. And, you know, it's also important, I think, that if you want to get into the business that you know people who are in the business so that they'll know, so that you can kind of know, oh, yeah, well, um, you know, so, so, so and so director needs storyboard artists and that, and if, and if somebody knows that your work, knows your work and your work might be good for that, you know, they might recommend you, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you do have to have your, your name out there and, and, uh, hopefully you have a track record, um, you know, probably starting out with, uh, smaller projects or commercials or something like that. And, uh, so that you look like, so that you know, that you know, they know that you know what you're doing. And, um, so yeah, having a, a web presence is, is a big part of that. Okay. I mean, when, yeah, I mean, when I, when I started, you know, in the eighties, you know, it's like, you know, I had my, I had my physical portfolio and they made a bunch of Xeroxes of and colors of and all that stuff. And it's like, and then, you know, You'd, you'd cold call people on the telephone and, and stuff right. like that, and that's a completely different thing. You've got so much, many more opportunities. Everybody knows the names of who are in the business now, and it's a completely different, it's a completely different world now. And so I think it's much, in some ways it's a lot more, a lot easier now because there's people who are much more easily accessible. I mean, you don't even know who some of these people are when I was started up. It's like there's no way that you could find out who, who they are, and, um, but now, Everybody has a presence, so you can find out more about them and find out more about the business through these people through you know direct relationships online. Right. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, uh, one of the things that it's hard for the 15 to 22, 23 year old to understand is how radically different that is compared to people who were starting out in the 80s, because, like you said. Uh, you would be lucky if you could get somebody's phone number or somebody's contact. Uh, you didn't know what union there what that there was a union. Um, and you know, yeah, Los Angeles is kind of spread out. So if you were uh-huh. trying to go all over in a day, just trying to drop your portfolio off here or drop your portfolio off there, that probably was crazy. Uh, it's it's amazing though, though that I find there are. I talk to some young people. It's like. Despite all the tools that they have, they don't use them. I mean, it's like I wish that I had an internet that I could go find out who worked on what. You know, I could just go down to be so and so worked on this, so and so worked on. This. But they don't even use them sometimes. So you know, there's a lot of tools that you can use to um, network with people. Use them, you know. And there's a lot of uh, places uh, on the uh, internet where you can learn about how the stuff is done. You know, you can go anywhere. 
and find a tutorial you know, on YouTube or whatever. All these things are at your fingertips. And um, if you don't use them, then you're a fool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that I, I, I notice often about a student is they will say that they really lo- they want to do concept art, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's like the most the 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 job that almost everybody says they want to do. And then you ask them, well, who are your favorite concept artists? And then they can't even name one sure. person, but they know that that's the job that they want to do. <laughs> I go. I find people who are third world. It's like, yeah, you know that. Well, okay, well, yeah. Well, you know, like that scene in Jaws where they did this. You know, in, in the scene in um, Citizen Kane. But oh, I've never really watched a movie that's black and white. Or I never saw Jaws. You know, whatever. Um, but you could just see those anywhere online. You know, or you can find those online. You know, if you don't know anything about the history of film, then why do you want to get into the film, uh, film okay. industry? Okay, that's a that's, that's a good point because that's something I know that we all who have taught have dealt with the fact that, that not all students, but there's many of them who was, who are just seemingly not interested. If something is in black and white, like you said, they don't want to watch it, mm-hmm. or it would be boring. But I'm thinking, right. like, if you're going to work in the film industry, that's part of the language of film. It's sort of mm-hmm. like you know being a politician, but not knowing who George Washington is or something. Um, exactly. Um, and I know that sometimes as a teacher, you will say things to a student and they kind of look at you skeptically like, yeah, well, that's not they'll, really. They'll, they'll roll their eyes, but, but really, I mean, it doesn't show so much that that, that stuff is old. What it shows is that they're not intellectually curious. Um you should be. You should know a lot if you if you want to work in the film industry, and especially at the you know the with the intimacy of film. That you know, want to talk the language with the with the directors. Those are the people that the, that the director is going to reference. If you don't, if you if you're talking to the director and he says something like that, you know, like that scene in uh, Night of the Hunter where they did this, and you go, "What's Night of the Hunter?" They're going <laughs> to you know they're going to think you're a freaking idiot. So you should know these things. You should be, and, and as as of anybody who's learning anything, you should be intellectually curious about, you know, films that films that were that were from an age long before you, or a film that you know films that are not in English or silent films. Um, those are all things that have contributed. You know, if you've never seen a Kurosawa film, you know, you never saw a silent film. You don't know who Harold Lloyd is. You don't know who Charlie Chaplin is. And how they, you know, what what their contribution was to film or whatever. Don't understand those things. Um, you, it's going to be harder for you to speak the same language to, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a somebody like Scorsese or something who lives that stuff, right? Right. Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. Hello. And so uh, and, uh, this is a uh, this is Brett Levins here. Hi, I've been. Hi, Brett. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I was uh, interested in something you said earlier about you see that uh, every wave of the young people coming in are even better. So do you think you're seeing, uh, th- do you teach at all? Have you taught? Not a whole lot, but I, 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 I get, uh, I look on Instagram and I see, you know, comic book artists and, and, and concept artists and I see, yeah, you know, films, you know, say for example, comic books. I felt, to me, it feels like the Silver Age of Comics was kind of like a high mark and things sort of sort of, by the 70s, started to kind of slow down and the 
the level of illustration was starting to lower, and by the 90s, it kind of hit rock bottom. But then through the 2000s, they started being, I think people kind of became self-aware and started, started to sort of like reevaluate things and sort of pick up. And I look, I go on Instagram and I see, uh, some of these tunis guys who probably might be looking more at different artists who are from the past, you know, with more stronger drawing skills. I'm seeing a lot more, you know, if you see somebody like, say, Daniel Warren or somebody like that who's, you know, a Tomo or, you know, or, or somebody like that or, uh, inspired by a Tomo or something like that. Um, but he's, you know, he's a young kid who's good now. Um, compared to, you know, if you go to the 90s and you see it's like everything's looking like every, you know, uh, the image, image people or something like that, and which weren't as strong, you know, uh, visually, you know, kind of more, you know, it, you know, it's, it's not as strong as an illustration piece, less visually uh, interesting and, um, kind well, of also in terms of, the, in junk. terms of the, in terms of the storytelling too, it really thinned out there. Yeah, so I think, I think things go in waves like that, because I think, you know, uh, like I said, you know, Silver Age was better than the Bronze Age, but I think after, you know, and the Bay Age, you know, right, I think what they're doing now, I think it's really a lot of, really a lot of good artists right now who, who are doing comics and who are doing games and are doing, um, movie work, um, but I, I think a lot of those people are looking at people from the past and they're looking at outside, uh, you know, just American comic artists, stuff like that. They're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're looking at manga, you know, the younger generation is more on manga influence. They're looking at, uh, some of the great illustrators that they have in Japan. They're looking at the great illustrators, uh, that they have, you know, doing Ben Dessine in France or, or, or any European comic book artists. I mean, this, there's, Kind of, uh, it's kind of encouraging sometimes. Because I went through a lot going, man, the kids today, they, they can't draw with shit. Now I look at them and think, damn, there's a lot of good people there. I'm kind of like nervous now. So. <laughs> I think it, it was it, tough. It, it was tough too because I think that, you know, I broke in in the early 80s and mm-hmm. there was a stylistic shift because to me, for my taste, Things sort of peaked, say, say around 1970, because you had everybody at Kirby, Adams, Frazetta, Mm -hmm. all the great guys were Mm -hmm. all working and competing against each other. And you had never, in comic books, you had never had that level of like, all the way down from, you know, Kubert, Kirby, you know, Kane, Romita, Basema, you know, all the best guys were still doing their best stuff and competing with each other. You know, Frazetta was competing with... Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was, I was the exact same conversation I was having with Leonard Starr. I was talking to him and I was saying, what is it that you guys are doing back then that, that they aren't doing today? And he said, well, you know, cause there's so many good people there. And if you didn't, if you weren't as good as them, you weren't fed. And so he basically, <laughs> he was telling me how he was, he was competing for this one job and, um, he got into the waiting room. And there's this guy there with his portfolio, and it's like, oh great, it's Mort Meskin. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, you have, so you're gonna have guys who are like incredibly 
great competing against each other, and that, that just weeds upon itself. Well, as far yeah, as switching so, over to the different mediums, too, I was interested about a comment Tim made that even if your drawing isn't strong, but you understand perspective and how to move people around in a scene and you have a sense of film storytelling that you can usually find work to do. And I remember yeah. I, I, I worked on uh, most of the Bruce Tim stuff from beginning with Superman through the Justice League. And they had a, right. a kind of a... Just that saw, you know, it's a saying that they had there, and I don't know who it originated with, that a good storyboard artist uh, was made by the age of nine or ten. So in other words, you've been watching film and soaking all these things up, right. as, as you were mentioning, and you get a sense of how it works and the fact that you have to keep that simultaneous uh, awareness Styles of what the audience out. is seeing as well as what you're wanting to show them. If you can't keep yourself in there seat as well, you're going to confuse them or leave out a crucial bit of information. That seems to be something that's really hard for certain people to learn, even though they draw very well. Right. Right. Good drawing never goes out of style. Styles go out of style, you know, but good drawing. So many of the the students, artists that I've talked to have asked me about it. It's like, well, what style should I, you know, like they're so obsessed with the style. It's like, no. Don't even think about style. I never thought about style. Like, I never even thought of that I even really, for a long time, even acknowledged that I had one. I didn't really care. Um, and I don't think they should. Most people don't realize that they have a style. Uh, or the best way it should be is just worry about the drawing. You know, the style, you know, you have a style. You, you, you really do have a style. You just can't see it because you're drawing it, right? But, you know, um, like I have a twin brother, right? So we always are comparing contrasting art. And I said, I just don't have a style when I was a kid. I was like, no, you have a very specific style. I don't have a style. I said, no, you have a very specific style. I think people just can't see their own, they can't see their, it's like, it's like when a, uh, then the comedian does a impression of a, tries to do an impression of themselves, right? They can't really hear it themselves. Just, you just, if they just do themselves, then they just do them, you know. <laughs> right. It doesn't yeah. sound like like themselves, right? So, really, people just worry way too much about style. Just worry worry about drawing is, what is, is, is the main thing, you know. Well, the other part of that is everybody only, the other part is that each person only has one brain. So it's not as if you can just randomly choose in a style, you know. <laughs> But if you go to any of these, if you go to any of these websites where, where people are trying to learn how to be a comic artist, or they're trying to be a illustrator, whatever it is, how do I find my style? Is like probably the most is probably the right. most right. prevalent one that you have, and it's the most stupid, ridiculous. Where do you get your question. ideas, and how do you how did you get your style? Those are like the two most common questions right. I've probably been answered, and I always say that. That your style is the expression of your knowledge. So, you know, if you're yeah. really knowledgeable, you can draw a Disney style or a Miyazaki style because mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. if you can draw form, I mean, form and space, so you can change the type of line you put on something. It gives you choice, the ability to make choices. A lot of people, right. you know, like in the nineties, we got to the point where I think uh, the style was basically the lowest common denominator, you know, um, mm-hmm. and what people got 
buy with, which at the time seemed exciting, was not really transferable to anything else but doing that specific thing. Like, you couldn't even do other kind of comics. Right. You could only do right. those type of comics. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah, so no, it's just, yeah. It couldn't, it couldn't transfer, cause I, when I started doing storyboards, I wanted to be a comic so it was like, but I was having problems. People didn't like, I guess maybe they didn't like my style or whatever, but I felt like I could draw pretty solid. So I transferred into doing storyboards, but if I, if I drew something like I was just young tiny feet and everything like that, and, and everyone's all like giant muscles, and everything looked like that, it was like, whoa, we, we wanted somebody to do this commercial, but, uh, you know, these, these people with the tiny feet and giant muscles is not going to cut it. <laughs> so, you know, so, um, so, you know, good drawing never really goes out of, you know, you know out of style and, um, you know, you need to have good drawing is a utilitarian thing. You know, you understand perspective, you understand lighting, you know, um, you know, and, and you can make things, you understand how to compose a picture so it's, it's clear and understandable and tell the story or, you know, to, and what emotion it wants to, to, uh, um, create. So, you know, those are the things that, you, that people need to, to focus on. Um, how, you know, well, style also is just like, you know, how heavy your hand is, you know, uh, how, you know, uh, how jittery your hand is, you know, or whatever, things like that, you know, how bad your eyesight is. I mean, <laughs> there things that are, there, there are things that are beyond your control. So why try to force it? Do what's natural. And the natural styles are the ones that are the best because they, you know, you can't help but do it. It's just, it's just, it just comes out that way. No, I well, part part of what eventually becomes uh, identified as part of someone's style too does is rooted in your personality because it's what you're interested in and what you feel the most strongly right. about. Because sure. you know, in animation, they uh, cast storyboard artists to scenes. Like some people are better at romance, some people are better at action, some people are better at suspense. Right. So that's part right. of what is going to grow out of your your natural inclinations as well. Right. But I think if you draw well, you're, you're going to gain more. If you just basically draw well, you'll be able to gain more flexibility. So if you if you're a good drawer, I think somebody who has a, a you know basic good basic drawing, somebody like Bruce Tim, for example. Uh, if if Alex Ross is trying to do a Bruce Tim thing, I'd have a I'd find he would have a much better shot at emulating Bruce Tim style than say somebody who only did. You know, stuff that looks like the tick, you know? Um, right. Right? Um, yeah. I know so, you're totally right about that. Even someone who is almost an extreme stylist like Mike Mignola, it's really charming drawings of the Powerpuff Girls and the Incredibles. But he knows how to draw. You can tell. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. He, yeah. he understands it thoroughly enough to be able to break the design down. One, one, of, the, one of the things we're going to, we're getting near the end here, I wanted to ask, too, about the fact that uh, because you're working in the sort of the cutting edge, the, the bleeding edge of, of the entertainment industry, technology mm-hmm. is always changing new techniques, mm-hmm. new, new ways of, of doing stuff. How do you, A, do you get trained on the job or do you have to train yourself or, you know, take an interest to learn you, these you, new things and then do, what do you do to, 
feed yourself as an artist to keep your energy, your interest up. Because it can be great to work on these things, but it can also be very draining, too. Yeah, I think the learning never stops. But uh, in terms of the technical learning, you know, that's something you, you do kind of have to learn on your own. Uh, if you're in the union, they do offer classes, you know, and, and, you know, or opportunities to get classes online or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, sometimes they might want, you, you, you might want to, you know, the newest version of Photoshop or some other, uh, drawing, uh, program that might be easier to draw with or, or offer you different things or, or different ways that you can do, an, you know, animatics. Um, there might be a, you know, a, a new and improved way of doing that uh, with some new program. So it's good, you know, or or, do, or creating a 3D objects quickly that you could, uh, you know, do your uh, backgrounds with or whatever. I mean, those things are. I, I'm. I have to admit, I'm not really. I've never been really good at learning those things quickly. So, uh, but I do concentrate on my basic drawing and that, that, that never, that's never, that never goes away. You always, you're always learning how to draw, trying to learn how to draw better. And so as long as your drawing stays good and, and, um, you know, you're keeping up with that, you always have something with you that's, that's kind of valuable. And in terms, but in terms of all the other stuff, you know, technical stuff, I mean, it's good to keep, you know, Talk to your friends who are learning the new things, and and they can always help teach you how to do some of those things as well. So, yeah. And what do you do to what do you do to uh, fill your fill your artist's cup? You know, I mean, because I know even a great job and a fun job when you're working for other people, serving other people, is not the same as always serving yourself. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I do like, I do comics still, so, you know, I have a, uh, I have a table at, at, uh, on Artist, at Artist Alley at Comic Con, so it, it gives me a reason to, like, you know, do a little, uh, self-published comic or, or work with some indie, uh, publisher or something, or even, you know, when I'm doing comics, uh, you know, I did, I haven't done a whole lot of, like, comics for the big, for the big two or anything, when I mean, I did do some stuff for Agents of Atlas and Hulk Family. So, you know, if you can get some of these freelance gigs and, and feed yourself from doing, uh, feature creativity doing comics, um, I try to do that or, or even, or doing short films or something like that. It might be something directing a short film, something that, you know, I've done before and I want to do more of or painting, you know, I'm doing a, King Kong type project with, you know, they're all paintings like a storybook. You know, so these things, these are things, you know, that help keep you in practice with things that you might not normally do. And it kind of feeds your artistic soul a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think I, you know, I met I, you. Yeah. I met you the, the, the last time it was in San Diego, which is like, uh, a while years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but with you and your brother, you were sitting together. I actually bought one of your books. Uh, and an astronaut. Uh, on it. Oh, the the uh, Babes in Space. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we did a we did a collection of stories with Babes in Space in it, and uh, it was actually a bunch of of um, illustrators from ILM and from Pixar. And uh, so 
you know, we just wanted to put something together that we could put, that we could sell at conventions and stuff like that. So that was, that was one of those things. So, um, that was a while ago, but, you know, I still do a few things like that occasionally, um, when I can. What's your, what's your, what's your makeup when you're doing comic book conventions? Like, what's, what do you have on your table? Uh, I just did a, a kind of a, a collection of, uh, you know, uh, I did an art book of my own, uh, stuff that, uh, it's called, um, Old School. And, um, you know, I did, a, I've done, like, done tons of stuff for, like, the, uh, Comic-Con, uh, uh, souvenir book. And so there's tons of stuff like that and, and little short stories and stuff like that, and comic short stories I've done or illustrations that I've done over the years and I just collected them all into a folklore book. So I, I sell that, you know, and then occasionally I've, I've done, I've uh, done stuff on the 24 hour comics and so I've, I've published, I've, I've put those in a book and I've, I've sold those or posters and prints and things like that and usually those you will find those on my, uh, uh, artist alley uh, table. Um, and, and, you know, or just like little sketchbooks and things like that. So, um, yeah, actually done quite a few little sketchbooks like that. So that's what you usually find on my artist alley, uh, table. And, you know, little things like this next, I don't have anything new on for the next, uh, Comic Con yet, but I did do a little three page kind of Twilight Zone boxing story. Uh, that's gonna be in the next issue of, uh, the Art Directors Guild, uh, magazine perspe- perspectives, and those will probably be available at, cause every year, the Art Directors Guild has a, um, has a talk, and then they'll usually have, uh, free copies of the magazine available for, um, people who are looking at the panel. Watch. So that's uh, the, the Art the Directors panel. Guild of Los Angeles? Yes, uh, locally 100. And there's a, within that guild, there's illustrators and mat artists, and uh, that's that's where um, uh, and I reside. So, um, so you have anything else you'd like to plug before we uh, wrap it up here? Any 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 new films? Any secrets? Who's who's Darth Maul's dad? Uh, well, the last few, uh, hopefully the last few films that I've worked on will, I mean, the last film I worked on was Bill and Ted 3, but the next ones that will be coming up, uh, Mulan, I worked on the, uh, the live action Mulan film, and then Pokemon, uh, the, you know, Pokemon movie will be out, and, uh, there's a couple of others I worked on, Bolden, I think that's coming out pretty soon, although, that, one, that one's changed a lot, so my boards might not be reflected in that one. Um, and there's another, uh, what was that movie? It's a, uh, Blood, uh, what was it called? It has, uh, it's a comic book movie with, with uh, Vin Diesel in it. Blood something. I can't remember. Uh, it's a valiant comic. Blood something. Bloodshot. 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 Yeah. I'm looking at your quite impressive IMDb page, which we will link right. so people can go. Yes, I see. But yeah, you got Pokemon right. Detective Pikachu, Bloodshot, and Mulan. And then you did Alpha, Wrinkle in Time, Wonder Woman, Logan, Brothers Grimby, Grims, Grimsby, uh, mm-hmm. 
and, uh, I mean, yeah, you've done, you know, like, you, you basically look like you're swinging from one production right into the next. Yeah, the past couple of years have been pretty busy, so um, sometimes it's slower than other years, but um, it's been pretty good the past couple of years. Yeah, I worked out, I did some stuff on, actually, uh, what was the other one? Another Marvel movie. Oh, um... Fantastic Four? Venom. Venom, Venom yes. and Fantastic Four as well, yeah. So, uh, those are the more recent ones. So, there's a, if you go to my Instagram, there's a bunch of my boards from... Venom and from Logan on there as well. Um, it, it, yeah, just just go on for Bet and Geo on Instagram, and then um, I'll be at you know I'll be at Comic Con and uh, a few others. Uh, Are you gonna be at Lightbox? I plan to. Yeah, we're, we're trying to work something out. Um, uh, I'm gonna try and see if we can work something out with. Uh, well, I'll, 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 we'll personally be there for sure. Um, and we'll see if we can get the union, her union over there as well. But, um, yeah, Lightbox, are you going to be there? It's a great, it's I like might a great try to, idea. Yeah, I might try to come out. We'll, we'll see. It's, San Diego's become such a, a technical feat to just try to get a hotel room to get out there to get in that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. And so. I think it's, there's so fewer, fewer, uh, places where people who are actually doing drawing can can go now. I think uh, we need things like light boxes. For certain, uh, certainly on the West Coast, we don't have, really have enough of those that that that, that are featuring you know, people who draw. And I think we, we we need a lot more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's great. Well, um, if you do, you have any closing uh, comments or remarks you'd like to make to to the to uh, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. All the ships at sea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Keep drawing and keep looking at art, I'd say. Just, you know, I mean, there's so many people who are doing good stuff. I mean, just, just, uh, uh, you know, support people who are doing, who are doing what we do. Uh, you know, whether we're cartoonists or or storyboard artists or whatever it is, because people are putting in a lot of good work and, and, uh, they, they were needs to be seen. So, you know. Get out. Great, great. Well, thanks a lot, Benton. It's been it's All been right. a great getting a chance to catch up with you, and and thanks again to uh, Tim who had to take his dog to the vet, I guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, but uh, uh, thanks a lot, and um, we'll uh, talk again soon. Okay. So, um, yeah, um, I guess should I be maybe I'll put some uh, work on the. Um, on the Facebook uh, page or something like that. So if you guys are curious about what my work is like, I can yeah. Remember. What I'll do is I will I will link. Uh, I will like I did with the Chicken interview. I will link a bunch of stuff so people can go to your IMDb. I will link a bunch of stuff on when this podcast comes up, so they'll be able to go and check out your stuff. And if you want to email me any links to any of your books or things that you have for sale or your Amazon or whatever, I'll be able to I'll be able to plug all that. Okay, great. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks. I'll see you. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Bye. Nice meeting you. All right. Bye. Bye.